We've been looking at the life and ministry of Jesus. And Jesus' ministry has gone through some ups and downs in the sense of uh, as he was teaching, more and more people began to be attached to him, become his disciples. Others just wanted him to do signs and wonders and get the bread and, and the fish. And he would then do things like, do some hard sayings like, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people would say, who can hear this? Who can do this? And they left and it just weeded down to his disciples. But again, Jesus' popularity started to grow and grow. And the Pharisees wanted to see what's going on, see why Jesus was popular. They were always tended to be in opposition to him. Um, and after Jesus had spoken in uh, Luke chapter 12, I mean, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 37, we see that after Jesus had spoke, uh, it says this, Now when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. And he went in and, and reclined at the table. Now, if you've been a pastor or you're a pastor, you kind of know what's going on. The menu may not be what Jesus is initially expecting, because when a pastor is oftentimes asked for lunch, that means what's on the menu is roast pastor. And they usually you're invited because they want to deal with some subject that they're not too happy with you about. Well, the unfortunate thing for these Pharisees and, and religious lawyers is that the menu is going to change from roast Jesus to roast Pharisees and lawyers. And so after having been invited to lunch and Jesus reclining at the table, it says, And when the Pharisees saw that he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. You see, before in the Jewish custom, is it's as important to do a ceremonial washing as it is actually to have hygiene. And Jesus wasn't participating in their ceremony. And so since Jesus is this rabbi, they don't understand why Jesus doesn't comply with ceremony. So obviously Jesus can't be as holy and clean as he claims to be. But Jesus sees right at the heart. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup, and the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. So Jesus gets right to the point. He doesn't even use the analogy. So first I'm going to use the analogy of what Jesus is saying, and then what Jesus says. Jesus is saying, is you guys are so concerned about washing the outside of the cup that that's all you concentrate on, but not the inside. And so to use kind of the analogy, it's like, having a cup where you put coffee and tea and milk and various other forms of drinks, and you never, ever wash them. Pretty soon it becomes disgusting and moldy. And yet, he's saying the Pharisees are more concerned about making sure the outside of the cup is clean, but it doesn't matter about the inside. But Jesus hammers it home even more because he doesn't go from the cup to the cup, he goes from the outside of the cup to the inside of them. 
And he says, inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Listen, if God made the outside, he made the inside. Why are you more concerned about what's outside if God also made what's inside? But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. Now, we get the idea of charity as being doing good works and doing good deeds and giving to charity. In this sense, charity is love in action. Jesus is saying, show your love in action. And when you do that, it doesn't matter what the outside is. You can be dirty on the outside, but it's the inside that is important. So do that rather than being worried about ceremony. But Jesus isn't done there. He says, but woe to you Pharisees. Now this is going to come as a shock because the Pharisees are the ones who are the religious leaders. They're the one that everybody supposedly looks up to as being holy and knowing what God's doing. And he's saying, woe to you. You guys are in terrible danger. For you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But those things you should have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus goes right to the point and says, you do things that are even far exceeding the law. The law does not regard, require you to tithe mint. And it's other garden herbs. If you want to do that. But notice Jesus doesn't say, don't do that. He says, what you've done is you've majored on the minor. Instead, major on the major. What's the major? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And say, if you do that, then do the other. That's fine. But you're not doing what's required of the law to fulfill the law. You have majored on the minor, and therefore you need to take concern. But the Pharisees are not unlike many of us. A lot of us will major on the minor. We look at the things that we do and the things that we say rather than it is who we are or whose we are. So we need to always remember, keep the first thing first, and all the other things will follow into place. Then he goes on and says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues, and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. Jesus is saying, you like being treated well. You like people respecting you. You like having the places of honor. And that's all that's important to you. But in that, what Jesus is saying is, in essence, your landmines. When people come in contact with you, thinking that you're holy, instead you're unclean. Because when you are in contact with a dead body under the law, you are considered unclean. So Jesus is saying, every contact you have with people is like walking over a tomb. It's like becoming unclean. So here these who think they're super righteous and are entitled to respect and honor are anything but 
entitled to respect and honor. Now, verse 45, Jesus then starts responding to a lawyer's comment. It says, one of the lawyers, so obviously there were several lawyers present at the lunchtime as well. So one of the lawyers said to him in reply, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. Being a lawyer, I, this saddens me. Because what the lawyer should have said was, can you explain further? Can you help us to understand where you're coming from? Or, I disagree, Jesus, because I think tithing of the mint and the rue shows that we do love God more and whatever. So in, engage in a debate. But instead, he goes, well, when you insult the Pharisees, you're insulting us too. He didn't say it wasn't true. He just said, you're just you're saying bad things about us. Jesus being Jesus said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to insult you. That's not what he says at all. But he said, woe to you lawyers as well. You see, I'm, I'm in double problem because I'm a lawyer and a pastor. One more strike and I'm out. But he said, woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burden with one of your fingers. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, the lawyers, had this tendency to say, we're going to protect the law. So we're going to make all kinds of rules and regulations that you can't violate so that you can never violate the law. And then we get so concerned about the rules and regulations, we forget that the rules and regulations were there to benefit the law. So I'll give you an example. The, the law says that you are not to do any laborious work on the Sabbath. So they created a rule that says that you could not go past a certain distance. Otherwise, that would be a violation of the law. So it was called a Sabbath day journey. So, if you had a friend who lived outside that Sabbath day journey, and let's say that friend is sick, you couldn't visit him because you would be violating the law. You've made it more difficult to do what it is God wants you to do, to love your neighbor because you can't do that. I've heard it said from a reliable source that in Jerusalem and in Israel, even today, that on the Sabbath, if you're in a high-rise building, every button on the elevator is pushed to go up and down. So if you're on the 20th floor of a, of a high-rise and you want to get to the lobby, you stop on every floor going down, and when you return, you stop on every floor going up. Now, my office is in a high-rise. Currently, my office is on the 12th floor. I don't consider pushing a button work. I don't, pay, I don't charge any of my clients for pushing the button. I'm arriving to work, to work. But it's not work to push a button. As far as I'm concerned, walking up 12 flights of stairs would be work. Not pushing a button. But you see that they're so concerned about not violating the law that they do all of these things. So it's kind of like, to use another analogy, is that you have 
a 90-pound weakling trying to build up their muscles, and they're struggling with a 20-pound weight to build up muscles. What the lawyers do is not say, let me help you. Maybe I'll lift up one side, and that 20 pounds will now be 10 pounds, and you'll get more exercise. Let me add another 10 pounds to the bar. They don't help. They hinder. And Jesus is saying, that's your problem. You're not helping. You're hindering. But then he's going to go on further with them. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers, because it was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. And you pretend to honor the prophets by building the tombs of the prophets, but you're agreeing with your fathers in the very act of killing the prophets and persecuting them. So Jesus says, just because you've built a tomb doesn't get you off the hook because you still follow the path and teaching and characteristics of your fathers. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill, and some of them they will persecute. So that the blood of all the prophets said since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who was killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Now this is an amazing woe. This is an amazing accusation and judgment. Jesus has first said the wisdom of God. Now in your if you look at the um, commentaries, they'll argue about what the wisdom of God is. They talk about, like in Proverbs, wisdom goes out. I think it simply means the wisdom of God. It means that God knew what he was doing. So God sent prophets, not knowing that they would kill him, but knowing that he was going to provide a warning to them. So the wisdom of God says, you are without excuse because I sent to you prophets. I sent to you apostles. I sent you various people to warn you to get back on the path, and you refused. So it's the wisdom of God that says, it wasn't foolishness, it was wisdom that God used the prophets and the apostles. And then he says that, that you persecuted me. And then he says that this whole generation is going to be accountable for the blood from Abel, which I find interesting because when you read Genesis, I doubt many people think that Abel was a prophet. And yet it says that the blood of Abel speaks more distinctly. So even in Abel's death, he declares the righteousness of God. So from the beginning of creation until the blood of Zechariah, now, there is a discussion of which Zechariah this means. Some people say, well, it's the Zechariah that is concluded at the end of the histories. And so it's from Genesis to the end of the histories for the Jewish people. Others say, no, it's the Zechariah that's, that's another person um, that we're talking about. And the third group says there was another person in Jesus' contemporary time who died. And Jesus is saying from that point until... Uh, contemporary. I kind of not follow that view. 
Why? Because if Jesus wanted to make a comment, I would have said, from Abel to John. Because John was the greatest of the prophets. But then Jesus would later say, but those the least in the kingdom of heaven are greater than John. So if Jesus wanted to tie a bow from this point to this point, then I would have thought he would have said, from Abel to John. But he says, is that right? But whatever he's saying is Jesus saying, from the complete set of prophets, you are accountable for their blood. Why is it that they're accountable for their blood? Because something greater than Abel is there. Something greater than Zechariah is there. Something greater than Moses was there. Something greater than David was there. Something greater than Elijah was there. Something greater than Enoch was there. And that was Jesus. And the scriptures, and you might say, whoa, this is a tough and boy, is it bad for that generation? But let me tell you this, the scripture says that if you trample underfoot the blood of Jesus, you are responsible. Because God sent his son as a ransom for you. And if you reject that, you are guilty of his blood. And I would much rather be responsible for Abel to Zechariah than for the blood of Jesus. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who are entering. What I believe Jesus is saying is what Paul learned. You see, the lawyers were so enamored with the law. That's all they looked at was the law. But Paul knew that the purpose of the law was to be a schoolmaster to teach us the need of Jesus. That we needed someone to die in our place to forgive us our sins because the law could not do that. The law was simply to point us for the need of a Savior. And the problem is the lawyers, even though it was their duty to understand the law, it was their duty to teach the law. Instead, they didn't bother understanding the law or to teach it properly. That's why the scriptures warned us that it is a very serious thing to teach the scriptures because then you are held accountable for what you teach. The lawyers, the religious lawyers, didn't teach the purpose of what God intended them to learn. Instead, they obstructed. Instead, they hid it. Looking at the law as something that the law was in and of itself, that the law was the Savior, and the law was never instituted to be Savior, but to point to the Savior. So he, Jesus, if you will, lambast the Pharisees and the scribes. He tells them that they are dirty on the inside, although that they spend all their time cleansing the outside. He tells them that they major on the minor. He tells them that they're landmines. He tells the lawyers 
that they are accountable, that they're no better than the others, that they have blood guilt, that they don't help those who need help understanding. Instead, they create more obstacles. And he tells the lawyers that they didn't see wisdom. They hindered it. And so there are a couple of ways that the Pharisees and scribes, the lawyers, could respond. Similarly, the way that you and I can respond when Jesus says, you know, you're lacking in something. You can either self-justify or you can repent. So when we are confronted with whether we major on the minor, we should repent and major on the major. And to do the minor, again, Jesus doesn't say it's not important to do what you're doing. The problem is what you're doing is not that important. So they could have repented. Or they simply could have said, we reject the idea. But they take even a third option. And when he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him, mostly on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. So from that point, and rather than examining what Jesus had taught, rather than examining whether what he said about them was true, they decided to get rid of Jesus. So from that time on, they became not interested in what he was saying so much, even though when they were interested, they still ignored him in the sense of they didn't take his teachings as valid. But now they're seeking to find a way to eliminate him. They become hostile, plotting against him to catch him. And the problem is, as we will say many weeks from now, they're never able to catch him in anything. He's the one who has to say, it is as you say, in order to be condemned. But they'll spend the remainder of Jesus' ministry not trying to understand Jesus, not trying to understand what he means by grace, but to oppose him, to plot against him. And it's no wonder that in that generation that they are held accountable because it was the law that pointed to Jesus. It was the prophets that pointed to Jesus. And they were so proud of building tombs instead of hearing the one that the Father sent. And so my admonition to you and to me, to not only hear Jesus, not only to listen to him, but then to take a look at what's on on the inside. Make sure that it's clean. Make sure that it's forgiven. Make sure that we understand what he teaches and follow what he says as opposed to rejecting him.
So I encourage you to take a look at this one, to invite him for lunch, but not for the purpose of having roast Jesus, but for the purpose of knowing him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And all God's people said,